0: Welcome to Cross Section, conversations at the intersection
1: of faith, news and culture.
2: Well, welcome again to another episode of Cross Section, where we will again be bringing our unique blend of analysis, opinion, engagement and of course, a little bit of banter as we explore some of the big and the small news stories of the week. And what a week it has been. The Six Nations has kicked off. Top of the table is... Well, nearly Ireland, I'm going to say. Uh, Boris Johnson has reshuffled his cabinet, sort of, I think, a bit. We've had the Brits, Adele, the first, I believe, genderless artist. What stuck out for you guys in the stories this week? Well,
0: I felt uh, very out of touch with contemporary music culture, uh, hearing what happened at the Brits. Um, Leonard Cohen being slightly more my cup of tea than Adele. Um, I don't think he ever won any Brit awards in his time. And
2: apparently Adele's not actually a genderless artist. She just won the genderless award for the she best was very quick
1: to affirm that she was happy to receive it as a female artist, which was interesting. But yeah, she's not genderless. The only thing um, the only thing that kicked off this week was not just a Six Nations. However, we did have a cat being kicked off somewhere, which leads me to ask you, Mr. Linus as a cat owner, have you ever this is a safe place? Have you ever been tempted to subject your cat to that sort of treatment?
2: Uh, not definitely not that level. I have two cats. In fact, Smokey and Jemima, who um, definitely test my patience from time to time. But it was a pretty shocking uh, video, the footballer video you're referring to, isn't it? Who's belatedly been cancelled or reprimanded and fined and might not be allowed to go back to France. He might end up in prison or something under French law.
1: Yeah, I've seen that. He could be subject to a sentence, a custodial sentence there. Um, and he's been fined 250k. Which, I mean, like, on some level, how cool would it be to have enough money to be fine 250k? But deplorable that he did what he did, undoubtedly. Or at two weeks wages, is that right? Yes, indeed, it is. Obviously, chicken change to what we make here, but...
2: for a footballer called Zuma, who most of us actually don't really know anything about. It turns out so. But we put out a poll. Uh, We were on social media again on Twitter and on Instagram. We were talking about some of the stories we were looking to cover. Uh, The number one story you asked us to cover is the rising cost of living. And we are going to come to that in a minute. We've also got Boris Johnson, Keir Starmer and some comments about Jimmy Savile and the impact of those. Uh, we've got Jillian uh, Keegan, uh, the MP, and uh, her uh, positive test and how you, how you deal with that. And uh, we've also got the, the Jimmy Carr joke, uh, that joke, and uh, we'll come to that at the very end and some of the kind of engagement around that. And Steve Colbert, another comedian, and his engagement around faith and culture. But we kind of open up, I guess, back to the, the big story, the rising cost of living story. Has it impacted you guys yet?
0: Well, I, I'm not on 125,000 a week, so uh, well, not as much as it is impacting some people. The idea that gas bills are going to be going up by 60 or 70 pounds a month, yeah, you start looking at your bank account and thinking that's gonna, that's that's more money coming out. That's 700 pounds extra a year for the average household. It's. It is a, it's, a, it's going to be a challenge.
2: It's a big story. I mean, it, it's we've got food prices going up. We've got energy prices going up. Uh, there's all sorts of reasons for all these things. And then we've got the government doing essentially a loan, a rebate on energy. It's going to give you 200 quid up front. Then it's going to claim it back over the next five years, which doesn't sound like a fantastic deal. It might be help in the short term. But essentially it's a glorified loan and you've got some serious uh, implications i think for everybody at the minute
1: i mean yeah i'm certainly not a fan of my heating bill going up any higher than it currently has done and yet i don't need to consider whether putting on the heater any longer will deprive me of food and families across the country are needing to think that through which is quite a sobering thing for us to think about and certainly worth pondering how can we as a church step in and churches across the country are already doing phenomenal work of providing support and care and food where that's been people have been failed by various systems but something about this cycle can't continue so food banks are great but they aren't sustainable what does it look like for us to more sustainably take care of the least and the lost and the lowliest across the country
0: and uh, the food poverty campaigner jack monroe uh, got into the news uh, recently for saying that the headline rate of inflation, which was listed at, I think, 5.4%, actually vastly underestimates the impact of inflation for people who are on the poorest end of society because the basket of goods isn't an accurate representation of that. And you have other things like the reduction of products in some of the basics range from supermarkets, uh, shrinkflation when the same price is being charged for smaller packages. And that's actually... uh, Uh, sparked some quite positive steps asda have said that they will increase the number of goods that are in their basics range Uh, the ons have said that they will look at the basket of goods that are being used to calculate inflation so we have a better grasp of what actually is the impact of rising costs on those people who will be feeling it most closely.
2: But I think it's worth saying, we, we had a bit of discussion even about this very story being on the show because part of it was, look, it is the big story. It's impacting everybody at every level. This has a significant impact. Um, but there's also this question like, What can we say? What can we do about it? It feels unfair. It feels like an injustice. There are firms at the top end, the kind of BPs of this world who are making huge profits. The supermarkets are also making profits. And yet we seem like we're caught in the middle of all this. uh, And it feels like, like, what can we do? I feel kind of powerless in response to this. So any kind of, tangible steps how do we respond better than feeling just overwhelmed
0: by it? Well I think churches are often at the forefront of providing compassion and care through food banks through debt advice services and I think we've seen that through the pandemic but we saw that long before the the invaluable work that local churches do in communities. And I think then the challenge is how do we take the next step? How do we work out how our faith, how what we believe, how the God of compassion that we worship, how that has an impact on on the structures and the systems that does lead to these situations and um, the co- the situations are complex that it's not one simple policy that can address address the cost of fuel or the cost of food prices there are many different issues involved so sometimes we get a bit un- overwhelmed by all of that so we take a step back and we we help practically But do we think politically about what those what we might do? We we did some research a few years ago, and what we found was that evangelicals care about poverty and inequality, uh, vastly more than the general population. 32% of evangelicals said it was the most important issue facing the country at this point. Over 60% said it would affect how they vote, policies that support and have a positive impact on the poorest. So evangelical Christians do care about many of these issues, and it does affect how they vote. But often it affects different things, it's not just a simple uh, one-size-fits-all answer. Uh, different Christians will have different approaches to what policies and what mechanisms can help address poverty and that then can be a, a cause of either silence or division.
2: Yeah. And even though we feel powerless, people say that we want to talk about it. And sometimes it's just creating that space to explore some of the problems behind.
1: Mm. And the
2: reality is what's going on in Ukraine and Russia is having a drive on something. The cost of shipping containers has gone up. The cost of sugar I heard this morning is up like 33 percent. There are knock on effects across commodity markets and then. The retail end of the oil and gas, like the, the electricity that gets delivered to our home, those those firms are going bust. We hear that all the time in the news. And so there, it is a complex situation, and again, it can feel overwhelming. And part of it is just to be able to share and to talk about it and the realities of the implications of it for all of us. So. We we wanted to lean into that. I think it's a story we're going to return to. The reality is that it has an impact on wage and inflation and it has a whole series of impacts. It's not going away quickly. People are saying this is not a one time thing that needs fixed. But we do want to look at some of the other stories that come up in the news this week and, and probably one of the big ones that's been kind of bouncing around is Boris Johnson, Keir Starmer and the comments around Jimmy Savile. So for anybody who doesn't know, Danny, what was what, what is the background to well, this? Well,
0: in a statement to Parliament uh, last week, in fact, when he was responding to the Sue Gray report, uh, Boris Johnson uh, said in relation to Keir Starmer, the leader of the opposition, a former director of public prosecutions, although he spent most of his time prosecuting journalists and failing to prosecute Jimmy Savile, as far as I can make out. Now, that sparked all sorts of controversy as to whether Keir Starmer was responsible for the actions Of the Crown Prosecution Service at the time when he was the director, uh, Boris Johnson later clarified that he wasn't uh, meaning that uh, the leader of the opposition was personally responsible for that, but had responsibility for for the organisation that he led. At the time. And then this week, we had Keir Starmer and Shadow Foreign Secretary David Lammy being mobbed outside Parliament as they left by a group of, uh, I believe, far right extremists that were picking up on some of the conspiracy theories around that. And it is felt that Boris Johnson parroted some of those theories to drive criticism of Keir Starmer. And a lot of people have been unhappy about what he had to say.
2: But this does go to some of the things we were talking about even again last week. I mean, far-right extremists. There were claims they were momentum extremists, which is more on the left of, of the Labour Party. There were all sorts of allegations to who these people were, who was unhappy. Is it people who just don't like Keir Starmer? So there's questions around that. And Keir Starmer was prepared to take the credit for lots of things. He used that line. I was former Director of Public Prosecutions and a number of times in the House of Commons does that make him fair game for critique for failings of it? And as somebody certainly who's prosecuted in the past, certainly not at his level, like, yes, there's parts of it you're saying, I absolutely loved doing that job, and part of it was being in court and prosecuting uh, people for offences committed, but what level of responsibility does Kirstarmer seriously have for the, this, you know, for the things further down the system? He did institute an inquiry into Jimmy Savile further down the line and, and, and had that report and acknowledged that they should have prosecuted him at the time. And they didn't. And he did not have personal responsibility for those cases. So it does feel like a pretty cheap dig. And the Speaker of the House of Commons has said, words have consequences. And, and that's something we yeah. surely...
1: The words that come to mind for me on this are detection, deflection and desperation. On Bojo's part, I just think this was shocking and shameless and it's, um, I read the letter that his former secretary, Manira Mirza, sent to him on leaving office last week. And in it, she was, it was reasonably like heartfelt for a letter in politics in this day and age. And she spoke highly of his character as a person and yet of her disappointment that he did this. And I think that's what it comes to down to, yes, politicians will play games and will throw the buck and blah, 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 blah. But this is a particularly chilling example of that. And it is a leader who is desperate to stay in power. And yet showing that there is no real moral fiber undergirding the show, which is quite concerning for the rest of the nation.
2: It does seem to be a core hypocrisy, doesn't it? You're saying Keir, you have to be responsible for what happened in the DPP and anything or the prosecution service. Uh, But then Boris saying, but I'm not really responsible for what happens as a consequence of the words that I spoke. Uh, You know, where's the accountability? Where's the parity there? Uh, Where's the responsibility? And I think that's the bit that really jarred with me around it. Um, You know, Jimmy Savile should absolutely have been prosecuted and it's a tragedy tragedy that he wasn't. And Women's Hour were picking up with victims this week about how they're re-traumatised by this story kind of being picked up and used as a tool. And we need to not forget the victims in the moment but it seemed totally hypocritical to call out somebody else while refusing to be responsible for the own words he spoke and for the things that went on within Number 10 and the parties that we discussed last week. You're all just going to laugh at me now and smile. That's fine. That, that's a nodding agreement I'm thinking on that story. Well, look, the next story, we, 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 uh, another political story that caught our eye and that we wanted to also talk about was Gillian Keegan. Now, that's not a name that everybody's going to be familiar with. Um, so, Dan Malilla, what was the aspect of this story that kind of caught your eye?
1: indeed I hadn't been familiar with her prior to this week but yes Jillian Keegan is a health minister who met with three dads earlier this week whose daughters died due to suicide across 2018 and 2020 She, the story goes that she took a lateral flow test and just before the meeting went into the meeting received notification somehow in the meeting that she tested positive informed those she was meeting with that this was the case they gave their consent for the meeting to continue and um, and yet she later apologized for not having ended the meeting immediately as the current guidance and um, says we ought to do and this has had quite an interesting response online many people incredulous that she went into a meeting after having taken the test and yet for me the main thing that sticks out is in some sense the meaninglessness of this story this represents in some respect what I hate the most about the news, the kinds of things that take most of our attention. I don't see i think it's an interesting one to balance whether or not it's worth her coming out clean about what she did and that's um, a deterrent for other people to take their tests in this way which admittedly d- doesn't make sense it defeats the point of testing to do it in quite this way so is this really helpful as a public show and a deterrent to others and um, from doing the same thing or is this just a culture of performativity where we are seeking to score cheap points um, of public complaint not even that public acclaim not even that she's doing so but the culture around her necessitates that she might do so if somebody comes up with an expose and i just think if the people that were party to this consented to it yes did it didn't make sense for her to do this but why is this a news story should, do y'all understand why this is a news story? she should not have
0: apologized i do not think she should have apologized i think she maybe yes should have actually waited for the result before going into the meeting that probably would have been sensible, but she was in that meeting. She was have a com- having a conversation with these people who had been through very difficult experiences and situations. Uh, she told them what had happened. They were comfortable with it carrying on. Actually, I think she was entirely reasonable to have carried on in that situation and to have continued that meeting. And actually, we're now in a situation where it looks like uh, the government are going to uh, massively uh, change many of the guidelines or rules around self-isolation potentially in as little as the next two weeks. And I don't want to get into government propaganda, but learning to live with COVID is going to be their strategy that they present in a couple of weeks. And I think some of this common sense approach is what we need to be looking at. Actually, if you're in a meeting like that, yes, you finish having the meeting. Uh, Yes, you maybe put a mask on take some steps back. Uh, But actually, I don't think she should have apologised.
2: Well, just just to be clear, that was from our English correspondent in terms of legislation moving. So some of us are stuck in Northern Ireland. We don't even have a government. We can't even decide if we're going to lift some of these regulations. So you're lucky to get to talk about it. We're 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 hoping to get one back someday soon. And regulations are shifting. But what also gets lost is, of course, why was she there? She was there to meet these parents around suicide, uh, a significant issue. Again, mental health throughout the pandemic has been significant. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was visiting with somebody last night, and they were talking about a room they ran with, Uh, during a season where there'd been eight suicides in the town that we're in, that this was a year or two ago. But again, just the reliving some of the trauma of that. And that's what gets lost. So this becomes a story about a test and whether you should have been there an extra 10 minutes instead of a story about what we're going to do about suicide, uh, which I think is part of the tragedy, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think the only means of redeeming this story is contrasting the meaninglessness of this public spectacle with the meaningfulness of life that undergirds it and the lives of those girls who were lost, the lives of many others who have been lost in this past season or who are endangered because of um, different parts of the pandemic or mental health issues otherwise. I know for myself this week, I was talking to my mom earlier in the week who is a doctor and part of how she manages her job is to chat through what's gone on. And one of the stories this week was um, her dealing with the suicide of a 14-year-old boy and um, watching his parents cradle him in their arms watching and um, teams and teams of medics come in to try and save his life and in that moment what stands out is the preciousness of his life it's not disposable it's not um, a thing of no note or no importance that his life is gone and for me what this is drawn my mind to, um, again, from the backdrop of the meaninglessness of so much of the news is what it looks like for me to receive my life as a gift from God um, and the cultivating the discipline of that in the difficult moments of life and in the moments where things are trying, what does it look like to honor and host the fundamental gift that this life is. And yet also to recognize the gift of life in other people and to honor the dignity of their lives and above it all to seek for all people to know real hope and um, for all circumstances in Jesus. So if something is gonna stay with you on the back of this story, um, let it be that Jesus offers hope and Jesus offers life. I know that one of our member organizations, Kinsuki Hope, um, work to support people around their mental health and also to enable churches and communities to better deal with these issues. And I think that's a really, really worthy cause um, to be supporting and availing of in these days.
2: Yeah, and I think, I I mean, I know you guys are out in the road too. And as we are getting out and meeting more and more people, it's certainly something that's coming up in my uh, conversations with pastors and leaders and everybody is just, as we come out of this, there is such deep anxiety still. There is still a lot of fear. There's still a lot of concern. uh, There are significant mental health issues. And so it is a real uh, challenge in this season. And I think that's one of the things we absolutely want to flag here because we are trying to live life at the intersection of these stories and say, this is significant. The story gets triggered because of the test and what happens. But actually behind that is arguably the more interesting story or definitely the more interesting story. And what are we doing and how do we engage with that? So we'd love you to follow us here at Cross Section. We think we're now available on all the main platforms, uh, wherever you get your podcast from. We'd love you to review and rate us. You can also give us feedback. You can get in touch with us at cross.section at eauk.org. You can follow us on uh, EAUK News on Twitter, Evangelical Alliance on Instagram. And if you particularly want to tell Danny off for doing something wrong, you find Danny Webster on Twitter and myself. Da Damalola is an abstainer uh, sure, from all things me. social media. So you- you'll not find out, but you will find the rest of us. So thank you for joining us. And we're going to kind of drop into our last story or stories which are both related to jokes and humor and um, two kind of stories we want to look at and um, i'll probably get this wrong but Dua Lipa, i think it is and steve colbert who's an american lipa. comedian lipa. lipa oh yeah you told me i had to leap that's right Dua Lipa. and uh then we also have jimmy carr who got the headlines here in the uk for that joke danny <laughs> Humour and how we navigate. I mean, this takes us into free speech. It takes us into sensitivity. It takes us into how we do faith in the public square with the Dua Lipa story.
0: Well, yes. uh, Jimmy Carr is an edgy comedian. His show that's attracted all this controversy premiered at Christmas on Netflix. It is called His Dark Material. It starts off with trigger warnings. The final section in which the joke occurs, he describes as a set of career-ending jokes. And he said out elsewhere that the joke that ends my career is already out there. Um, if you haven't seen it, he makes a joke around the Holocaust and suggesting that the death of thousands of gypsies uh, could be viewed as a positive in the Holocaust. He goes on to make other jokes around Jehovah's Witnesses as well, uh, but it's this joke around gypsies that has att- attracted all the attention. I... Uh, took it upon myself to watch some of this show i haven't watched it at all and it's bad like I, I am not going to support or encourage anyone to uh, watch this show particularly not on a family-friendly podcast such as this i cannot repeat most of the jokes i wouldn't want to i couldn't deliver them in his style
2: but but jimmy carr says he got a laugh in the room is part of it he knows he read that room and people laugh with him and he says he's holding up a mirror to an extent on humanity because they know he knows that's funny and it lands and he wants to kind of tease out why and expose something of of our humor and our humanity yeah and he he says
0: (laughs) one of his uh, follow-up comments to it, he says, "I'm being educational. Everyone knows about the fact that millions of Jews were killed. People don't know about the fact that these other groups were also killed." Now, I think that's uh, somewhat uh, a segue into him making further jokes. But that there is this question of: Does comedy give you a free pass to say utterly outrageous things?
2: Damalola, would you would you like to defend Jimmy Carr on the educational defence? <laughs>
1: I mean, defend is a strong word, but yeah. Can you imagine
2: standing up to represent them using that def- that line of defense?
1: Lol. <laughs> oh, well, um, I'd hopefully do a slightly better job. But when it comes to, yeah, what comedy is and what should be allowed, there is the fact that it gets a laugh. There's also the fact that people have, as it were, I've heard people refer to it as some sort of contract, that being in that room and in that setting, you're delivering a whole piece from beginning to end and people have a certain expectation of what they're going to get. And to some extent, there's an element of context to it. So the follow-up comment around people not knowing about the number of gypsies who were targeted in the Holocaust and whatnot. And what you miss online and in little snippets being taken is that overall context and that, as it were, a mild social contract um, between comedian and audience in that setting. As to whether comedy gives you a free pass to say whatever, Yes. No. I think people are free to have really poor taste and to pay money to go to an event where people where comments are made in really poor taste. And I think that yes, Jimmy Carr should face the consequences of other people finding that offensive, whether or not that means he shouldn't have a platform to speak. Yeah, I mean, like I know, Danny, you've spoken of publishing your own comments, but then them being given a platform, and I do find that distinction helpful.
0: Yeah, I think he should. Free speech so is we'll one thing; consequences go. are the other. I think there should be consequences for these comments.
2: Absolutely, I'm a big fan of free speech, but there are consequences to having that free speech. Well, like I have a joke about Moses that will divide the room.
1: Oh please, are you sure? I you couldn't can do resist. This? I couldn't it's, resist. It's, it
2: was a dad joke moment as we move to the last bit, the Dua Lipa and Steve Colbert, because this is another comedian. This is an American story. Uh, people might not be as familiar. Steve Colbert is a kind of uh, evening host, show host, and and comedian. Uh, and he had Julie Vaughan bon and uh, they were talking about, you know, she's got a podcast, but in she interviews people. And so she kind of flipped the interview on him and asked him how he does faith and comedy and how uh, does your faith and your comedy overlap? And does one ever win out? Uh, and uh, Steve Colbert is a devout Catholic and ultimately talked about how his faith wins out in the end. And during the kind of darker parts of humour. And when we look at things like death and defeat, he said, I like to turn that to laughter, uh, kind of uh, take the fear out of something and take the evil devices that will often turn us to sadness and turn them into humour. And there was a kind of pretty poignant exchange and moment. Uh, I don't know if either of you saw it or uh, anything to say about it.
0: Well, I think then the interesting thing became some of the feedback. Some Christians loved it. They thought it was a brilliant, Uh, demonstration of faith in the public eye, yet other people were then criticising him for it, which just shows how other things can divide the room as well.
2: I have to say, I loved it. I mean, Keller came straight out and said, look, this is a a great example of Christians and faith in the public square. It's a moment of witness. You've taken a small, winsome way of engaging your audience. And then he got absolutely hammered for it in the kind of more fundamentalist pylon, and then he explained exactly what he meant he said look this is a colossians 4 moment this is where we lean in this is where we let our speech be gracious seasoned with salt and winsome you pick up on the hoverbs the hoverbs the proverbs let our words be like honey and uh, I was really encouraged by it, and then also felt his sense of oh I can't believe this people are like why didn't you give a three-point gospel presentation why didn't you do the road to Romans why wasn't it all jammed in you're like come on the guy was answering in the moment took that opportunity and presented a really winsome signpost towards the better story that we find in Jesus uh so I it's thought it was an encouraging wonderful. moment
1: I I guess I'm like slightly less optimistic about it, if that's the word. More or less, I I totally back him for taking the opportunity. And as I seek to encourage people to share Jesus in their lives, that's like a really good example of how to do that organically. And yet it does then ask the question of like, what kind of life backs up the message that you've just shared. So when people then think of other jokes that um, Stephen Colbert has made on his show or ways in which he has, yeah, drawn attention to people, um, those things, cast a bit of a shadow on that what was a beautiful and profound moment. So I guess ultimately there's an encouragement for all of us to take opportunities like that, to make Jesus known, to share our faith in ways that are organic and yet also to consider the life, the backdrop to which these comments um, are coming. Um, are these two things joining together in a way that is helpful and will ultimately draw people to closer to Jesus? Or are my words jarring with my life to the point that this is not helpful at all? Wonderful. Well, look,
2: what we're always trying to do in this podcast and cross-section is to draw us right into that intersection point and see the ways in which we can take some of the news stories, some of the things that we're reading, some of the stories that are coming up on our social media feeds, and look at ways in which we can understand the more positive intersection. How do we bring Jesus right into the heart of the public square where he already is? How do we find him there? How do we articulate that better? How do we bring language around that? Um, So in this moment, hopefully we've tried to do that in terms of words do matter. It's the old phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me That's not a biblical idea. The Bible tells us again and again that words are incredibly powerful. God spoke this world into being. God spoke and it was and we're told again and again again of the power and danger of the tongue and the negative side, but also its power to soothe and to encourage on the positive side. And so our encouragement to you as we try and navigate this too is how do we bring that uh, positive gospel kingdom oriented speech right into the heart of the public square? Thank you to Damalola and Danny for joining me in this conversation. Our thanks again to Joe Evans, who is our producer, Chris Ringland, who does all the post-production, Tim Coyce for tech support, but any mistakes and problems are all us, but those guys have helped us make this show what it is. One last time, rate, review, if you can. Please share us on social media. Do let us know any feedback if we can make the show better and loved having you on board for the journey. Be blessed.
0: Cross-section. Conversations at the intersection of faith, news and culture.